Uh, the next song that I've got on my list is a little song called Hellhound. One thing that I, I have to say before I forget is I love that they have a chunky sound, but they're not using a chunky distortion. Yeah. Those guitars sound so smooth for being as distorted as they are. I love that about this band. And the, the sound of the guitar is never consistent. Yeah. So when I heard that, on when it comes in, that really sort of, it's like, oh, that, that's a really metally sounding guitar. Like, it sounds great. Mm -hmm. And it's just, but it's just there for that one thing. It's just this one note in this in this song that sort of gives it a bit of color i love that push between those who stand a few and then hell hell of satan's pack that big drum push where they come in and they, they, it's like there's all these little things in these tiny short songs where they're putting interesting stuff in and i love yeah. that big howl and the feedback at the end you know but i think again i the lyr lyrically or, or delivery wise it, it's i'm in that same space i've still just got to wrap my head around it but the verses i love it's the chorus where i'm a little bit less enamored of it but the verses Super, super cool in this one. Yeah, I agree. And you know, we, we were you were talking about lyric structure before. I I think when you hear uh, Eminem, who is what I've read, he is the fastest rapper, which you know that's great. Yeah. <laughs> but when he actually sings in some of his choruses, where he's not rapping, he he actually has a good voice. Yeah, he does. He can sing, but he doesn't feature that that much. And I kind of feel like it's the same thing with Glenn with this band. He yep. he's really just pushing the lyrics, but you don't really get a sense of how good of a singer. And maybe he wasn't at this time. Maybe that was something that developed, you know, throughout his career. But he's got a good voice. He's got good style. He's definitely got rhythm. Yeah. Well, I mean, because okay, so when I don't know the timeline. So Hellhound, I think, was later than the first. Are they chronological roughly? Because okay, so uh, like I have no idea. Okay, so we are one three eight. And then cough cool, and I think last caress. That's where he's he is singing, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I think that they're all sort of those were within a couple of years of each other. Is my yeah. understanding? I remember Marbury's wrong on that. Well, but. I think they were only together for what three or four years, yeah. And and then they were, and then it was over. And so and think, the amount of people that came in and through that door that amount of time it's <laughs> pretty insane that they yeah. held it together, you know. Um, but yeah, what do you think of this song overall? It, sort of average it was average to just below average in terms of the content of this album the, the stuff that i really like this is a little ways back of it but yeah i would agree with it same, same for me um it's, it's a lot of the same tricks that they yeah. use in you know that da, 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 you know stop and, and do that the very same accents same sort of guitar pattern that they have for a lot of their songs it's really just uh almost like hey let's write another song like the ones that we wrote before yeah and you think too like i mean if it's a different band and maybe in a different genre or, or if you sort of get signed and you go down that path or whatever you're gonna none of this gets released and what you're gonna end up doing is going back and cribbing lots out of well let's take that and build on that let's take that one and build mm -hmm. on that those three sound the same so let's just pick out you know what i mean so you can you can yeah. composite things which is what most bands do or a lot mm -hmm. of bands do but you don't get that with the misfits because they're recording everything 
basically from day one, it sounds like. And so yeah. you do have this this real sort of history of, well, this is basically everything we recorded. Just mm-hmm. listen to it. There you go. Yeah, exactly. And I and I love when you hear things like that, when you hear the original version, or maybe they took something that they were doing in a in a previous band and yeah. brought it to, you know, like we never really did anything with this. It's kind of I wrote it, so I kind of have the rights to it. And, you know, let's let's modify it for this band kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. It's always fun. Uh, the next one I've got up is is one of my favorites. It's Horror Hotel. Clearly not the most polished version of that song. I wonder if that's a live version that that I uh, I grabbed because he's cutting in and out. The vocals are cutting in and out he's, a lot. He's moving away from the mic all the yeah. time. That's, he's definitely doing that. And so I I don't know. I I get the sense with the sort of the the garage band aesthetic and the sort of let's get it done and and you know make it good enough. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like it. it I don't know. If, well, I mean, I think they recorded live off the floor a lot. I think that's right. just a, a case of. Should we but fix I, it? I feel like he's nah. moving, like physically moving around the room. Oh, definitely, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you think of this one? Well, not one of my favorites, but not in the like. Again, it's in that sort of midpoint. I did. Mm-hmm. I got interested. I ended up on going off on a tangent on this one because there must be some significance in the, why you pick room twenty-one. And I know mm-hmm. that Danzig's into you know the occult and all these different things, and I don't know if he was back then, but there's a few kind of interesting things about the number 21 the 21st mm-hmm. amendment re- repealed the 18th amendment so the 21st amendment um, repealed prohibition mm-hmm. uh the number of spots on a standard die add up to 21 mm-hmm. a 21 gun salute when uh honoring royalty leaders of countries and there are 21 trump cards in a tarot deck really so those are all the things i could find that might be tied into or it could just be that phonetically it works so that might be an whole bunch of nonsense and i wasted at least half an hour of my life or whatever movie they wrote this about, which might have been Psycho. This might have been inspired oh, by the okay. movie Psycho. That could have been the room that she was staying in. Ah, oh, I don't know. I'm throwing that out there because I'm sure it's related to, I'm sure the song in general is related to a movie. And Horror Hotel, Psycho would make sense. That's really interesting. Yeah, because I know there, well, there's, there's The Fly, obviously, on this album, or Return right. of the Fly. Return of the Fly, yeah. Just blatantly talking about that. Well, not talking about it, but... Based on that movie, but yeah, that's, I'll have to look into that too. Yeah, oh, that that great. Now, now I'm going to now I'm going <laughs> to go further down this bloody rabbit hole. <laughs> and you know, of course, there's Blackjack. Yeah, I highly doubt Blackjack was the inspiration for that song, but yeah. that is another 21 reference. Um, obviously, that is also the drinking age, not just the uh, the bill that repealed prohibition, but the uh, in the United States. Yeah, uh, is it is it still 19 in Canada? Yeah, is that 18, for an 18 in UK? 18 oh really yeah. is that for all alcohol or is it like you can do beer at 19 but for like vodka you need to be 21 no it's across the board and you can you can drink you can legally drink alcohol at i want to say 14 but it's got to wow. be in your home supervised by your parents right oh okay do you know what the, do you know what the legal drinking age in the uk is like the actual, not, not the sort of six so you what? technically if you're in a beer garden in the uk with your parents 
it's still on the statue, and I don't think you'd ever get away with it now. But you could, you as long as the as long as the six year old doesn't buy the alcohol, they're allowed to consume it. Wow, which, ex- which explains the big book of British teeth because we're all too pissed to get anything done about our teeth. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I, I'm just picturing like uh, Stuart. You need to get your homework done. Listen, bitch. <laughs> I'm Bring me more done. gin. <laughs> Where's that bartender? <laughs> oh man, I want to be a kid in England now. Uh, okay, so the next song I've got on my list is one you mentioned earlier, "Cough Cool," which are uh, is the crossroads of two different streets, I believe. Okay, neat. It's the first single they released too, right? On I think it was, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think this is probably their most produced song because I'm definitely hearing vocal layers. Yeah. Uh, I love the drums on this song because for one, the drums are incredibly dry except for a hugely reverb snare. I'm pretty sure that was recorded separately because nothing else is picked up on that reverb. Yeah. Um, But the guitars are so hypnotic and the drums change when the vocals start, it actually delays when it plays that pattern and it switches halfway through where it would normally have been through the riff. Now it starts it. It's a really bizarre setup, but I love it. It is super interesting. The drum, the drums was what the first thing that really kind of hit me, well, apart from the, that piano, the the, fuzz, the, the distorted mm-hmm. piano, but because he's, he's massively ahead of the beats deliberately though, because like it's like you said before about Danzig, he's doing exactly the same thing each time. Right. So you know it's not accidental and you know that it's, it's sort of that's deliberate and it gives you that that really sort of uneasy, discordant feel to the song, right? That it adds into the mood of the song. And I, this is one of the ones where I was like, yeah, this is where I can hear all the bands that listen to Misfits in this one song. I can hear mm-hmm. all those those in those, you know, the shoegazy indie bands that I listened to when I was 16, 17, 18. It's like, oh yeah, this is what they're trying to do. They're not doing it as well as this, but right. this is what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And there's there's also that I don't know if it is a if it's an organ or uh or or just that piano thing or you know, electronic piano it is, but they've got that like it's almost like a deep purpley kind of suspended ascending organ thing that goes on mm-hmm. in the middle of the song. Yeah. Almost like they're trying to ape highway star. They're doing that oh, sort of yeah. that climb up. It's it's almost mm-hmm. that, which it's not quite, but it's. I really like this song a lot. Yeah, it's got I, a it, real I cool think it's. It. I, I think it's like a, 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 a either a church, like a distorted church organ, is what it sounds like to me. Yeah, uh, maybe not the pipes because it doesn't have that big of a sound. It's it's more like you know they bought a cheap keyboard that had an organ sound on it, and they yeah. just ran it through the guitar distortion. Like a Wurlitzer um, or something, or yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I love it at the end because it does come out more. You really notice it at the end of the song after the lyrics are done when it's when it's finishing up. Uh, but you're right; I hadn't thought about the Highway Star comparison. But yeah, it does have a very similar progression to that. Yeah, yeah. It's a good song, and this is another one that that was a late one for me because I did not hear this song until the box set because it wasn't on any of the albums. It was only right. released as a single until the box set came out. I'm crazy. I was reading yeah, five hundred copies they pressed 
like you said, they mm. press themselves and push them out. And I, I, I like the lyrics in this one because they're dark, but it's that not narrative. It's just all it's all scene setting. It's that yeah. first act in the movie, right, where they're just mm. setting everything up, and then he lets you do what you want with it. And I like that sometimes where you don't have to write specifically. You can write universally and let you know it's same. Corey talks about this on lots on our on our show about or has talked about it about horror, right? He says you know like modern horror almost universally sucks because it's all jump scares. You're not allowed. Yeah. They don't let your imagination do all the work of making yourself scared. And this song for me, you know, this street we walk on, this corner full of piss and fear, this street won't bear it long. It slants, it tilts, it's brought outside. So there's an idea there that's very unsettling, very disconcerting, but you you can see it in your mind's eye. Yeah. I can see that in my mind's eye, and, it, and it's it's unsettling, and that's what it's meant to be, I think. Let me ask you, do you picture it being day or night? Nighttime, 100%. Yeah, yeah. same for oh, me. I, I, yeah. I'm almost seeing like the like in New York when they show you the night shots of New York and you see the steam coming from the sewer drains and you know some kind of a trash-filled corner, like brick wall corner. Yeah. And uh, that that's just immediately what comes to mind. I think... What I would see this song almost being is the first song that would be played after an overture for a much bigger story yeah. where you're starting to set the scene and say, you know, here's kind of the grungy world that we live in. We've given you the overview musically of what this show is going to be. Now we're going to start telling you about the show itself. And here's the way we're going to set the scene because you're right. It is very general. It's not telling a story. It's yeah. just describing an area and a feeling. Yeah. But there's no cohesive story doing it well too like i said i mean cover your face when you walk by drench your visions in darkness spit up blood when you cough it, it, i don't know like i said there's something about this it's almost like because how long is this one because this is i'm losing my notes here uh two minutes two minutes 16 so seconds yeah it's like they've managed to compress the entire feel of escape from new york into two minutes and 16 seconds it's Perfect that analogy yeah dark you know yes exactly um, the other thing too that that I, I've noticed is I, I love his vocal range in this song. So you've got him singing really gently through the verse, and then he comes out with the power in in the lead up to the chorus. Yeah. I really love that change in tension and, and excitement and intensity. He's said, so good at that. He's a good singer. Like he really he is. is a good vocalist. And like I said, he can do that choppy staccato shouting attack type of thing. But then he can. This is almost crooning. In the verses, yeah. right? It's like it's got that flow and that sort of mellifluousness to it. I love it. Yeah, it's very, 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 very diverse. The only thing that I'm disappointed in now that I think about it is that I don't get to hear an album of Elvis doing Misfits covers. <laughs> oh my god! Can you imagine? <laughs> brains would... for dinner, brains for lunch. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Baby. <laughs> and then, then he's got to do the finger snap. You know, the point to the crowd. <laughs> got to have that. Uh, so the next song that I have on the list is actually the first song I ever heard by the Misfits. This one is called The Last Caress. I don't hear the Elvis influence in this song. Oh, it's a total 60s rock and roll song, but the chorus is all 
that could be the Shangri-Las. It could be melodically. Mm-hmm. You've heard that. You've heard that before, right? You've heard that a million times in, in, in doo-wop yeah. and all kinds of things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The, especially the topic of baby rape and, or, you know, baby well, killing and mother rape. And <laughs> I mean, a little know. off the wall. Yeah. Uh, they were a pretty no holds barred band lyrically. I have to say they, they, they were the, the South park of music, you know, whereas South park is like, Hey, what can we do? That's controversial. And we're going to do it anyway, even though they were under a network. Uh, that's kind of what the misfits did. They're like, we're going to sing about whatever we want to sing about. There's no topic off limit. If this is what comes to mind, that's the song. I think the the difference there might be, and I'm you know just as devil's advocate, that in South Park there always is intentionality, and they've got 24 minutes to provide context. Yeah, I do struggle with the lyrics in this one a bit. The two lines, I mean, it's it's only two lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the nihilism in the chorus. Like I said, I think the choruses in this song is just it's kind of heartbreaking in a way. Yeah, like it's soulful and despondent and crushing. But then you know the baby today and it's like it's a bit to me that's just a bit juvenile and a bit yeah i, I don't love it i don't hate it either i'm not a prude about those kinds of things but i just think it's a bit silly especially when danzig can write good lyrics right well and i'm like hey i found a quarter and he's like hey i killed a baby and there's a big difference between those two i you know yeah. i'm not a fan of the concept of the song i like the song and again because yeah. i can disconnect the lyrics and really hear the vocals as an instrument that helps uh, but I think I, I think there's just something really fun about the song, just the structure of it, the way he sounds, that use of vibrato that yeah. you really don't get to hear a lot from him in this band. Again, just another example of what his voice can do. Well, and again, I mean, compositionally, I like it. Like the musically, I, this is one of my again one of my favorites on the on the record. Mm-hmm. The drop to the minor on doesn't matter much to me is super mm-hmm. super cool. Um, I like the way that they punch that last verse. So dropping out the hats, and then they yeah. just hit in the fourth and fifth chord. So there's lots of things musically, and then the false end, and coming mm-hmm. back in on the refrain. There's, musically, again, they're packing in a lot of ideas into two minutes. And it's, yeah. it's this whirlwind thing. I'd love that. And I'll probably be able to get past the lyrics at some point. But I just went, again, analytical head on. Sure. Yeah. Come on, guys. That's a bit silly. So you know. And this would be a good live song, too, especially with that false ending. Yeah, you know, because the crowd's going to be waiting for it because they're, you know, anybody that goes to see them is probably going to know the song and they're just going to be like, yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to I'm going to tell you the reason why this was the first song that I ever heard by the Misfits and just a little spoiler alert, but a little something for you, Kevin. Okay. So that is from Metallica's Garage Days re-revisited EP. That would be the first thing that they recorded with Jason Newstead after Cliff Burton's death. Okay. It was five covers. Uh, well, I, yeah, I, I guess it would be six because they did Last Caress and Green Hell uh, together. Okay. So those were the first songs that I heard by the Misfits that was like, I've got to find out who these guys are. Right. Because Metallica did such a great job with these songs. And it's funny because I like the other songs in this EP, but I never cared to listen to the bands that made them. 
Right. But this one, I'm like, I've got to find out who these guys are. Well, because it is such a, it's like, holy shit, who the hell is singing? Do what now? You're doing what to your mom? Right. What? Yeah. Great delivery from James, too, by the way. I love the way that he just kind of holds there a little bit. Yeah. And, and this, causes that tension. Well, this is in their wheelhouse, right? This is, this should be, this is what they should be doing, not whiskey in the jar. Like, they, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, this suits what Metallica are and what they do best. So, yeah. And, and to be fair to Lars on this one, because he is playing the hi hat fully, he's not cheating and doing the hat snare alternates. He's yeah. actually playing that full on. But this was back, you know, you think this is out the next thing they did after Master of Puppets. So he's still in that, you know, playing battery and playing fight fire with fire kind of modes. Right. So it's not surprising he played it that way. I think he also had, by that point, a second hi hat on his right. So instead of crossing over and playing that, he could play the full hi-hat on the right without stretching his arm over to the left-hand side, which kind of weakens it a little bit. Uh, So I think that that might have helped. And I think that was when he was using those Zildjian ZMC1 mics that they actually used to mic all the cymbals individually, which is kind of ridiculous when you have a setup (laughs) like that, Uh, as opposed to the Misfits that just mic the cymbals. Pretty much nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, Let's see, where are we at? So the next song that I have is uh, Nike Agogo. This was never one of my favorites, but it's grown on me over the years because it is kind of fun. You know, it's weird you say that. Literally, I I didn't have this written down, but I was as we were listening to it, I'm like, every time I listen to this song, I like it a bit more. Mm. One of those that really grows. And that drum part is bananas. It took me a while to figure out, what is it? Is he he just playing anything? And and then when I got further through the song, I was like, Oh, no, there is a pattern there. So I went back and listened. Mm-hmm. Really interesting drum part. It sounds yeah. like it's out of control, but it's not. It's the exact opposite. Because mm-hmm. to play that, you've got to really know where the one is. Oh, yeah. And the other thing I love about this version in particular is just how heavy that intro is. And between yeah. the guitars and the bass, that is some massive power. Big, uh, there's a big Tom fill in this song, too. About mm-hmm. around about one through nine that you don't need. They don't, there's not a ton of fills on these songs. Right. It's just pretty straight ahead. But it's, again, it's something that, doesn't really sound much like anything else. It's got the same roots and you've got the chugga chugga. Mm. And is anyone told, did anyone ever tell punk guitarists that they're allowed to up pick? <laughs> no, you, it's you all... know, it, it might help. Yeah. <laughs> it's all down picking. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about the drums in this band in general is that there aren't a lot of fills. There's a lot of repeated parts of the patterns, like a little yep. roll on the snare that's done every time it's where a fill would be or how a fill would be played, but it's really more part of the pattern than it is a separate fill because it doesn't change. And then there's, you know, the, the classic, let's just hit a crash all the time. (laughs) Yeah. I think this is the one. Yeah. This is one of the ones that Erie Vaughn was the guy that Danzig brought in who plays bass Mm -hmm. and drums on this one. And I think on five songs in total. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think this is one of the ones that the diehards sort of say, well, it's not really a Misfit song because, you know. 
Right. Yeah. But that would also explain why the bass is so heavy. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool a pretty good song though. I, 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 it does grow on me. Like I said, I initially I was like, eh, but the more I hear it, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's kind of a fun piece of music. It's, and again, just that drum intro is, it's just, it's a mind fuck for the first few times you listen to it. Cause it's like, hang on, wait, no, he is playing a pattern there. Cause it comes back around to there. Mm-hmm. I, Jesus, I wouldn't even know where to start trying to learn that. And you know, he probably didn't even think about it. He probably just sat yeah. down and that's what he played. And that's what they kept, you know. <laughs> these, God damn these geniuses and their ability to play interesting parts. <laughs> well, I, the one thing I do love about their band is that they're they're just not restricted to the same types of song structure and things that we're used to from rock and roll and pop yeah. and that sort of thing. They just They just kind of do what they want. And I think that it's, was the beautiful thing about punk was it just had a freedom that other music didn't have. Well, you often get stream of consciousness in lyrics. You don't often get it in the music. Mm-hmm. Jazz does that to an extent, but jazz is also very structured because otherwise it doesn't work. You, right. You, you need that structure in jazz or it does sound like crap where this really is, okay, we'll freeform this completely. Like mm-hmm. I said, we might start with the chorus. We might only have half a chorus. We might just have two or three lines. We might repeat something 50 times. It just doesn't matter. It's how we feel in the moment. And that comes across, like I said, that's the charm of it. And that's what's, that's what's drawing me to... Like I said, every time I hear these songs, I'm like, I like this a little bit more than I did last time. That's awesome. Yeah. I like this. I, I you're you're getting turned on to all kinds of new music these days. Yeah, it's great. So our next song that we have up is called We Are 138. Elvis, Elvis, Elvis. Yeah, 100%. I like love I said, it. He just, he yeah. sounds so bluesy on this one. He's got that, he's got this range to his vocal. Like he can do, when I, because this was the first song that I listened to on this album, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, the vocal on this is really cool. And it's, I wasn't expecting that. And then when it went on and we got to some of the lyrics, I was like, okay, that's what I was expecting. But mm-hmm. this one, when I go back to it, yeah, it's neat. And there's a four bar, two note solo in it. You know, you've got that sort of fairly standard metal riffage, but it gives way to that, you know, because the, the intro's got a bit of, it's not quite swing, mm-hmm. but it's got that hitch step to it. There's a little bit of roll to it. Yeah. And then they go into, then they go into the threshold. Again, it's that, let's not stick to one thing. Because that's the thing, that's where punk gets a bit boring sometimes, where the song where it is just starts that way and ends that way and there's nothing in the middle. That's right. where it loses me a little bit. I want a bit of variation. This gives us that. Mm-hmm. And and that's pretty good because the song is only uh, what a minute and forty one. So you know to get that kind of variation again, I mean they really know how to deliver a lot in a little bit of time. And that's harder than doing it in a five minute song, right? It it can be, no. yeah, it really can. The other thing I like is after that mid school guitar solo, which I love the solo. I mean it's just really picking one note, but yeah, uh, I I love the way it goes up at the end. And then when they come back in, the vocals seem to have more of an edge to it after that. Like, he's like, now I really need to put this point across. Yeah. You know, and I love that change. 
I do love too. I was reading about the the lyrics. Is obviously as soon as you see a title, we are one thirty eight. You think, well, what does that mean? That's got to mean something, right? It's a movie, isn't it? It's a. It was a movie about robots taking over, if I remember right. Well, he. Well, Danzig said. Well, this is what I, I guess other members of the band has posited all these things, mm-hmm. and Danzig, Danzig just said, um, it's, it's just about violence. Oh, and okay. someone had said, oh well, such and such a body in the band said it's about this. He said, well, he didn't write the fucking lyrics. <laughs> So I was like, I call, I call out this guy. So the love continues, you know. And over over the last few years, they actually have reunited, and he's joined them on stage when they've been on tour. They've done some shows together. Yeah, um, really interesting. I, I haven't seen them because I don't care for them live. I I don't like yeah, these yeah. songs at a thousand miles an hour. It's just pointless to me. Yeah. Um, but that is pretty cool that they've put their differences aside. They've actually performed together when you get, you know, a lot of bands just, they can't talk to each other. They can't acknowledge each other on stage, but yet yeah. these guys have somehow found a way to play their, their tiny songs together. I think, you know, I mean, Danzig, for all his weirdness and his eccentricity, he's clearly an intelligent fella. Yeah, you know, so I think it's that sort of you know you grow up hopefully and you mature hopefully a little bit and think yeah I'll go play some of these songs with my old my old pals and you know because the, the fans want to see it right so and I wonder too you know you see people interviewed and he does come off very arrogant he does come off a little bit um, like somebody if you were at school he would be the kid that sits alone on the playground yeah you know like just sits on the brick wall staring at people yeah but I have to wonder. Is that really what he's like, or is that just he's being the figurehead of Glenn Danzig to support the music? There's the brand, right? And you've got to yeah. say, there's, there's the image. There's why Slash always wears the top part when he's doing interviews, and it's just that's just what's expected. And I mm-hmm. I get it. You know, it does get a bit. It would be very tiresome if he was actually like that. Oh, you God, really wouldn't yeah. want to spend any time in his presence at all, right? But yeah, I mean, he's just, just drive by his house. There's his head in the window, just looking. <laughs> Or just just the top because he's only five foot three, so just just from the just from the eyes up, you know, the eyebrows right. up. Exactly. Uh, let's see where are we. So the next uh, you mentioned this one. The next song is called "Return of the Fly." <laughs> the bass yeah it's, it's so fat hey? and the production gives it you can hear it mm-hmm. and it's, it kind of sounds like he's slapping it too which again you wouldn't necessarily but i don't know exactly who's playing that because i'm not a bass player um well if if you've ever seen any live footage of them they play their instruments very hard yeah <laughs> it's they're a very visual band and um yeah this song especially uh well for one i didn't know the drummer had a ride cymbal until i heard this song i just right. literally did not know he even had one <laughs> which is kind of strange uh but uh i i this this groove is such a great groove for them yeah and it's it's one that they've used a couple of times but i just i love the progression of it it really moves it's got melody to it yeah uh, it's just a fun song and basically what they did is they took the cast list of the movie and just yeah. read it yeah <laughs> which is that shouldn't work no but it kind of does. Like it's still, it just sort of, I don't know why it works, Scott. Please tell me why this works. You know? Well, I, I have some friends that were in a band and, and they had this really weird, um, they wrote this song about uh, the war and and it was torn, told from the perspective of the drummer's aunt, or I think it was his aunt, who um, was in the concentration camps. 
And okay. so she would have nightmares and she would just be screaming and, and stuff in bed. And, and, you know, so the song is basically, he wrote it about that. And there's this one part where it, it it's, it sounds like there's gibberish being played on a radio because they use a filter on the vocal. Yeah. And I asked him and they reversed the the vocal. So you can't tell what he's saying. And I, and I asked him one day, I said, what did, what did you say there? And he goes, I was reading the ingredients on a bottle of Gatorade. <laughs> I'm like, there nice. you go. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the same thing. I mean, it's just so nonsensical, but it, but in that case, it was specifically disguised to sound like, yeah. you know, radio announcements and, and, and gibberish. This, he's just like, yep, let's just talk about Vincent Price and, you know, yeah. Francois. I, I love that concept. It's just like the simplest thing in the world to do. But Vincent Price is also phonetically, it's a cool name. Like it just works. You know what I mean? There's a bounce to it that really works. And I love his vocal on this too. It's like a lounge singer. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like that Richard Cheese lounge against the machine when that whole shit came out. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just it, vamping on that. And it's, again, it just sounds different. I love the tone of this song. I would love to hear a ver like a real lounge version of this with like a, you know, a, a band with horns and yeah, yeah, you know, brass, like the, yeah. the, the woman in the long dress that just lays across the piano. <laughs> Return of the fly. <laughs> Baker Boys, Fabulous Baker Boys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that could be fun. Uh, interesting, we mentioned Deep Purple. There is a Deep Purple connection. There's two Deep Purple connections to Vincent Price. Uh, Vincent Price was the narrator of Roger Glover's Butterfly Ball and the Grasshopper's Feast album. Okay. Did an amazing job on that. And then uh, they wrote a song called Vincent Price for the, I believe it was on the Now What album. Okay. It was just kind of a, you know, know return that. to horror movies and how scary they used to be and that sort yeah. of thing. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. Well, those, those guys, I mean, Vincent Price and Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, you just don't get better than those three, right? I mean, they're, they're no. gods of it. So, you know. and, and to think about the time when when they were making movies together and how little there was to compare it to. I mean, the stuff that everything they did was groundbreaking because there was just yeah. nothing before it. Yeah. Which it's is easy so to break, It's easy to break ground when there's no buildings on it, right? So, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so weird to think of in our oversaturated society now that there was yeah. a time when there was really nothing before what you were doing. Yeah. And they were it's literally so the nice. first thing after silent movies. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Uh, on uh, Legacy of Brutality, there's a song called Static Age. Is it Static or TV Casualty? And uh, he's like, there's a, you know, there's, a, there's a spot in the corner where he always likes to vomit. And, and the next line is like, I like to feed the fly that I know. <laughs> the fact that you even know a fly is kind of fun. Oh, Probably easier like to that. manage that relationship, you know. <laughs> they, don't right. ask a lot of you. they don't ask a lot of you and they don't last long. So they really don't. You know, they're, they're a 24-hour relationship at best. <laughs> Uh, so th here's another one that you mentioned earlier. This song is called Ratfink. as I like to call it, phonics with Danzig. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's ludicrous. You know, it really is. I mean, what the, what the, what is this about? Like, rat fink? I mean, what, what are you talking about? What it, 
Unless yeah. it's an inside joke that I just don't know. I don't really understand the point of this song very much. I, th- so. This would be probably, if there was a song I like the least from this band, I, I have to say it's this. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it, it, musically it's kind of cool. It's kind of like a punk surf song almost. Yeah. Um, I that, yeah. Probably on par with with maybe The Clash, I would think. Uh, musically, I like it. Lyrically, it's just, what's the point? Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I did kind of like the solo though too. There's a little solo in there that I was mm-hmm. like, there's got a status quo. You know, you probably don't know there's an English band called Status Quo. Um, do a song called Caroline. It's just that it's got that kind of feel to it. It's got an old school rock and roll thing, but otherwise, yeah, I was just like, I don't know what's going on here. Also, it's one of the splashiest cymbal sounds I've ever heard in my life. It's like, holy it's shit, you, bad. Couldn't get, you couldn't get any bass on that at all. Like And I don't know what what's with the snare, but it sounds like the snare actually is hitting a tom. Yeah, you know, there's, it's, it's there's a weird. really bizarre low end to it underneath yeah. of the snare that I because he can't be playing that unless he tracked it separately. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know what's going on in the song, but it reminds me there was a, a company when I lived in Colorado, you know, like a Jiffy Lube. I don't know what you guys have up in Canada, but just kind of like an oil change place, you know, like a 15 yeah. minute oil change. And uh, and it was called Lube Stop. And they had this commercial that was this sort of big band kind of kind of music. And uh, the whole commercial was like, uh, you know, 50s male barbershop quartet going L, L, U, L, U, B, L, U, B, E, S, T, O, B, Lube Stop, S. And it just reminds me of this song every time I hear it. It's it's the same song, only with higher production value. And Maybe maybe the people who wrote the jingle were fans of the Misfits and they wanted to just shoehorn a little, you know, a little oblique reference in that no one at the company would get, but, you know. Well, we can't do a baby killing song. What else they got? (laughs) (laughs) You never know. Inspiration comes from wherever it comes from. I had a friend who worked in a grocery store and he was stocking the uh, milk cartons. And when he went up there, he noticed there was a pattern of how many milks were left on the shelves. It was like one, two, one, two, one, two, three. And so he actually wrote a rhythm section in the middle of a progressive metal song that went da 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 following the the number of milks he followed. You can get a song or an idea for a part of a song out of just about anything. Yeah, definitely. It's really amazing. It's just it's just all in how you see it. And and you never know when that's going to strike either, right? Yeah. And it sometimes comes at the most inopportune times. It's like I don't have any pen. I don't have a. Can you? Why now? Why now? Well, fortunately, now with our cell phones, we have the voice recorders yes. and things. We could just say it in there. But years ago, I, I did not know how to write music. I knew how to write drum music, but I didn't know how to write like staff melodic music. Right. And I was in Michigan and uh, my cousin Hope, who was a, a, a award-winning flute player in high school, um, I, I asked her to play for me and she refused. And I told her, I said, if you don't play for me, I'm going to get back to Colorado and I'm going to write a song called Hope Never Played For Me and I'm going to send it to you. And she refused. And so I was, I was it was like the day before I left and I met my grandmother had a, a little uh, upright piano in her front room. And I was playing around on the piano. I came up with this melody I really liked. And I thought, oh yeah, I could do something with this. I'm going to use this on that song for my cousin, right? <laughs> I had no way to record it, no way to write it down. Yeah. So literally a 26 hour drive, I think it was at the time from Detroit back to Colorado Springs. Every hour I would turn off the radio and hum it so that I, and, and as soon as I got home, didn't even grab the luggage out of the car, just turned on my sequencer and recorded it and went, thank God. 
<laughs> That's amazing. I did. I did finish the song and I sent it to her and she laughed. But uh, yeah, I, I, you just, you know, you never know where anything's going to go. Like I had a friend who was here and she was telling me about this weird sound her ice maker was making. And I said, wait a minute, tell me again. And I came up with a rhythm out of it. Oh my life. You know, as drummers, especially life is so rhythmic. The way we walk oh, down yeah. a set of stairs has a rhythm to it. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's a shuffle. Sometimes it's a straight beat, but there's a rhythm to it. Well, that's where Dave Grohl got the, the the tempo for All My Life by Foo Fighters, is he said that when you go to, you know, when you go to Europe and you play the festivals, everyone bounces. So mm -hmm. he says, you watch the rate they bounce at, what's the most comfortable rate to bounce at? That's the tempo for the song. Because when we play it, wow. it'll match the bounce. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I know you're yeah. a big Foo Fighters fan. You've seen them live a bunch of times, haven't you? Four times, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Let's, let's keen on the newer stuff, but yeah. Well, bands evolve and they change and they usually Maybe. go bad somewhere. Uh, <laughs> all right. So now we're going to get into something a little more classic. This one is Halloween 2. So not a kid's song. So do you think there's a kick in this song at all? Because I mean, we, we've commented before that you, you can't really hear the kick very clearly on a lot of the songs on this on this album, but I don't even know if he's playing one here. I think it might just be the toms and that really washed out hat that he's playing. Well, I, I'm trying to separate because the, uh, Samhain did a version of this that's a little more refined and you can hear okay. the kick in that song. It's a straight just pulse. Yeah. So let me just play that back. Maybe there is. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I couldn't. I was because I, I was doing the same thing. I'm singing. Damn, I just it's just super light, but I can't I can't find where he would be kicking either. So I think it's just on the toms and the and the snare with with. Sort I of think with you're the, right. Either yeah, hats the, or shakers. I'm not sure what. The, the incredibly dry toms, you mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this if I if the story that I heard is right, he basically just took the lyrics out of the Necromaticon. Oh, okay. Which is, you know, a, a book of nasty spells and things that you probably shouldn't try just in case. Um, yeah. I'm sure it's just all folklore, but uh, why tempt fate? Well, I did look up the Latin that he's singing, and it's ancient formulas of exorcisms and excommunications, believing in ghosts and faked wolves, which I'm assuming is pig Latin for werewolves because there wouldn't be a Latin for werewolf because I don't think that concept existed. Um, ah. in ancient Rome. So I think fake wolves is probably as close as they could get when they wrote the Necronomicon. So, yeah. Well, there's nothing more terrifying than a fake wolf. <laughs> Does it have uh, full fur? <laughs> Come on, i got to throw one dad joke in at least. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that was good. That was good. Uh, I like this song. I, I, I'm more used to the, the Samhain version of it, but I think this just, it's a little diverse. It gives them a little more to play with than just the pounding guitars all the time. It's. I think it's. I'd like to listen to the sound version then because I think what loses me here is it's just a bit. It, it, well, not a bit. It's very, very muddy, and mm -hmm. it's just it's just a bit indistinct. I think I'd like a you know one of the songs that I'd like a little bit more separation on. But I do like the. I don't always like it sort of overtly metally sort of blah, 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 But they've got that like demonic background vocal thing in the lycanthropy section. But I think mm -hmm. it works really, really well on this one. 
and it's yeah, just a I, bit it's I, just a bit I one agree. note it's just a bit one note for me this one yeah yeah i could understand that and and this one let's see this is oh this is a whole 213 so they wrote like yeah. a full song here you know probably like two songs really yeah at, at their normal rate i'm just going to pull up the salon version and play a little bit of that okay I love that little just twist of the the guitar strings at the end. I I, yeah. I can't think of what that technique is called, but it just has such a different feel. Like like I said, this is a much more polished band. They're yeah. still not like like Danzig sounds in the studio. If you listen to Mother or a song like that, that is a studio recorded, very polished sounding song. This is in between that and the Misfits. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I and it slowed down a bit. Mm-hmm. Tempo's a little bit lower. It's got a bit more groove to it. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, it, it's it's hard sometimes with the songs on some of the songs on this record, just because the production is so basic or or lacking that it's sometimes hard to separate out what the actual song is for me a little bit, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, because we're used to hearing things that are more defined. I mean, we yeah. we're away, we're years away from our boombox band days, right? Where we're like, I could hear everything that happened because I was there, not because I can actually hear it, but in my yeah. mind, I'm filling in the gaps. Now we're so used to polished music that it's kind of hard to hear some of the nuances in rougher yeah, for recordings, sure. you know? Uh, good song, though. Uh, I, I do like it. I like that it's something a little diverse, kind of for, you know, maybe middle of the album somewhere where your ears are starting to get a little weary of that pounding guitar sound. Yeah. You know, kind of kind of like a palate cleanser. Absolutely, yeah. Is how I look at it. Uh, next up, we've got Devil's Whorehouse. Or the Haskin residence on a Friday night. <laughs> That percussion had to be added on very sloppily after the fact. <laughs> it's all over the place. Yeah. It's do you know what I find too though the doom 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 doom. It's like rock lobster. I always get that yeah. you know, as soon as I listen to this, I was like, that's kind of like the B-52s. Mm-hmm. But I don't know which one came first. But it's it's I mean, it's just like you said, it's that surf rock influence again that, that comes yeah. in and it's it's a pretty standard progression, but but I like mm-hmm. it. Like it's it's again, it's something different again. You know, it's a different look, it's a different mm-hmm different tone different different um losing my words here scott we're, we're getting later i'm losing my words i just think i just think it's a cool diversion on yeah. an album that there are like i said there's like blocks of songs on this record that sound they never sound the same but they've got a similar sort of bone structure with this one mm-hmm. something different yeah and and that uh i i don't know exactly what they're hit. it sounds like a, a snare and maybe a floor tom at the same time but it doesn't have the same it's like a dead floor tom that they're hitting in the in the background that's a little heavy on the reverb. Uh, but it's just more the placement of it that's throwing me off because there's just no <laughs> rhyme or read. There's it's like here's where it's supposed to go, but then we're just going to throw an extra one in off the beat for no reason. It's yeah. kind of weird, but it's almost like that we're going out of our way not to be standard. 
in a, in a way that's obvious as opposed to just doing what you do. Well, I think that I sort of trust that they are doing it deliberately at this point because of all the songs we've listened where you think, where you do initially think, well, that's just floppy or that's a bit, oh, hang on, wait. No, that's consistent. So that's that's clearly what they meant. Right. So I, I appreciate that probably it was measured and considered and they thought yeah it does sound weird and erratic but i like that let's leave that in you know yeah and and i i all i often feel like there's somebody just kind of choking the drummer and when they want them to slow down they just tighten their <laughs> grip a little bit and he's like all right i'll play slower <laughs> it, it, just, it just seems so controlled that it, it's like a controlled chaos like we're yeah. going out of our way to not be standard they're a deceptively clever band. I mean, they really are. Yeah. There's no two ways about that. It, given, like we were talking earlier about sort of active listening for when we're going to do this kind of thing on podcasts or just listening mm -hmm. casually, to listen to this casually, I'm not getting as much out of it because it, it, I'm going to think that those sloppy bits are just sloppy and they're not right. measured where you'd miss that if you didn't actually sit down and think about it a little bit and listen to it. There's a really, one of the, my cool, one of the nicest parts of this song that I like is there's that big left turn and the key change on come alive in the house that screams, come alive mm. in the house that screams. It just takes the song again in one forty a minute 49 and it takes the song in a different direction than you're not expecting. And this is the one that I was telling you about the ending is what I really like. And maybe we can play like the last, I don't know, 10 seconds or so, because sure. this is where it sounds like it's really just the verb that's been kicked into the into the mix and then you get that little tuning peg trick on the guitar right. right near the end which is a little horror movie trope that just works really well for this song well let's check it out it's neat i kind of like that I like that, that snare is just, it is, it's just so reverb heavy. There's, it's just like, oh my God, I don't think yeah. you can turn it up anymore. And I don't know what, what they're doing to it because it doesn't, it sounds like a snare, but they must be hitting something else at the same time, or maybe they're using something different. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like they put a, like they put snares on a floor tom. On top, just to get that extra. Yeah. Because it doesn't, it doesn't really sound like a snare drum. Well, no, it's, it, it's got the, it's. It's got the snare. You can hear the the chains, right? But the tone of it is too deep. Yeah, unless it's the biggest snare in the world that I've never seen. <laughs> yeah, it's like a four foot snare. Uh, but yeah, it sounds bigger than that. It sounds yeah. like it has more of a lower tonality, like a like a you know a third or fourth tom or a floor tom, yeah. more so than it sounds like a snare. It's and creative, it's, isn't it? Dead as hell. Yeah, you know it, it's it's flat with reverb added because there's a difference between a snare that has or, or really any sound that you hit that has a little bit of room reverb or natural reverb in it, like a snare drum would, and something that is just dead as hell and reverb was added to it. There's a big difference in that sound. Yeah. And this sounds dead as hell with aftermarket reverb. I'd yeah. also made a note on this one about, um, again, Danzig's delivery and the way he doesn't use rhyme scheme. And there's the line, come on up to the devil's whorehouse, uh, intimate hell of a demon slot. Well, angels take their time in fall and come alive, come alive in the house that screams. And when he says screams, he, he screams like he, he drops that E into a U so that it mm -hmm. kind of rhymes a little bit closer to slot. Right. And I just again, that's that that attention to detail like that that I think is it's pretty cool. Like you don't hear that all the time. I think it's a it's a, it's a good delivery. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and it's really creative. And it's yeah. something that it's so subtle that without a critical listen, I wonder how many people would necessarily notice it or yeah. if you were just like you had the record on you probably wouldn't notice it at all 
But when you're doing the critical kind of listens like we're doing, we're finding so many little nuances yeah. and things in music that I, I can appreciate the songs and the musicians even more after knowing what really went into it. Well, and you think about it, because so, I came into this one and you look at the album, you think, yeah, 35 minutes, 20 songs. Like, I'm, I'm not going to have a lot of notes on many of these songs because they're so short and they're so punchy. But when you sit down, you think, the hell, yeah, they're packing a lot of ideas in here. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. And for, you know, for really, they're, they're not layering in a bunch of synths or pads or anything to thicken the songs up. I mean, musically, they're a pretty simplistic band. Yeah. So it's really amazing what these songs are producing. Yeah. Definitely. Considering what you're putting into it. You know, let's see where we at. So our next song is called Queen Wasp. What you think, Kevin? I love this song. Do you? There's something about this that really grabbed me. And again, it's that the drummer's doing something there. He's because he, they speed up on Queen mm -hmm. Wasp Go. Like it gets way ahead of the beat. You couldn't. Well, you couldn't do this to a metronome because no. uh, there's just no way you could play it because the time's not standard. There is there's something about this. I like Queen Wasp. I wonder if it's like a little cheeky nod to Queen Bitch by Bowie. Um, and then you've got a human looking from the thorax up human stomach and a tiny waist. I just think that's a really funny visual. And you don't see the word thorax cropping up in many songs, which I, I'm appreciative of anyone who can shoehorn the word thorax into a song. So yeah, there's something about this one I really like. I don't hmm. know why. I've never considered that, but I think you're absolutely right on the <laughs> thorax part. Uh, the closest they probably come is in the song Vampira. Uh, the, the words are two inch nails in a micro waist. Because <laughs> if, if you've ever seen Vampira, uh, yeah. she's basically the size of a pencil at her midsection, which is just, you have to wonder how organs function at, at that point. It's very bizarre. Uh, yeah, this has not been one of my favorite. I think I don't like the group shout. I think that's what I, okay. I, I talked about this in the last episode I covered on these guys. And, um, I think it just, I don't know there's just something about this one where I'm like, I'm just not feeling the, the group chorus on this one. I want there to be something more, more substantial there, I think. That's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it, for me, it's. I think there's one of the things is that the the music matches the lyric, and I wonder if this is one where he wrote. And I don't know which sequence he did. I'm assuming he was a lyricist first and then wrote music, maybe. But because it feels like it's that way around, because mm -hmm. everything's angular and spiky about this this arrangement, right? Right. And so, to the wasp is a very spiky, angular in our sort of in our public imagination. It's an angular, spiky animal. Where a bee is a little bit softer, and you know. The queen bee is this, that's that's a, a positive thing. And wasps do have queens because wasps are, in some species, are hive animals. But a right. queen wasp has got that connotation of being something not nice because we don't like wasps. Wasps yeah. are dicks. Wasps yeah. spoil picnics. right? Mm -hmm. We don't like them. So I, I do like that. And then the dissonance again and the goals at the end, that drum line is just wild. How, how it yeah. comes in and cuts in. So there's just, it, I just find this song super interesting. I would say so, this is one of their best drum songs. Yeah, it's super. It's just weird. Again, mm -hmm. I was like, I wouldn't want to even try to play this. I, I just wonder, you know, because again, I, I grew up with the rock and roll side of things and that sort of structure. I wonder what it's like for that to be your natural inclination to play. Yeah. You know, like what what other things are in that brain 
if that's what you're coming up with naturally. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a question that you used to ask Corey quite often, especially in the early days of you jumping on the Aerosmith podcast. What was the drug situation bits at this point? Were they oh, sort of... I don't know. I honestly don't know that much about history-wise. Okay. Um, yeah, I couldn't say. Because you wonder about that, because, you know, something like that, it could be something that's just influenced by someone being a little bit high. Very true. Playing yeah. that and thinking, oh, shit, what, what did you do there? Oh, say, no, sorry, I messed up the timing. No, 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 you should definitely do that. I don't remember well, you what know, I did. It, it could be, too, something like, uh, you know, I, I, I think about things I've learned from Japanese music, the way that their rhythms are different and the way that their rhythms are melodic. Um, it could just be something that that is a combination of things that you just find or just the way something hits you and you go, wait a minute. Yeah. Like the ice machine, you know, here's what I could do with that sound the ice machine is making. Um, I, I think it too of Ian Pace and what he always says is you can listen to two or three rock and roll drummers and you can learn what they do, but you got to learn where they got it from. And then yeah. you got to take those guys and learn where they got it from. And you got to find yeah. things that we've forgotten. Yeah. And start using that and making that part of your style. This could be a Buddy Rich thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I could easily see it being a Buddy Rich thing. Yeah. Um, so who knows? Yeah, which, I mean, once you start peeling back the layers, it always leads back to the big band stuff, right? Because that's where mm -hmm. rock and roll comes from and at its roots and, yeah. Yeah. And, and people don't talk and... about that a lot. They'll say Chuck Berry. They'll say, yeah. you know, guys like that. And that is true. There, there's an element to that. But big band was rock and roll before rock and roll was. 100%. It was the center of the universe, right? That's mm -hmm. what all, I mean, you look at the the big band composers and the and Buddy Rich and all your big band leaders, they were global superstars. Mm -hmm. Millionaires, they, they or you know, I mean, they, that was, they were the original and then Barry came and simplified it. Right. And Bill Haley came and simplified it and made it a mm -hmm. bit more easy for simple folk to understand. And especially, I think, where rock and roll really took off is it made it, it everyone could play it. Yeah. Because to play big band, you've really got to learn the instrument. To play rock and roll, you just need three chords and the truth. Right. Or your version of the truth. Mm -hmm. I think personally, I think Buddy Rich hit his career high when he was on the Muppets and had his drum off against <laughs> Animal. God, so good. <laughs> so, so good. <laughs> I love to use that for such a serious and sometimes miserable guy to at least have the the sort of the the willingness to go on and be silly and yeah. go on the Muppets. And obviously he wasn't playing it wasn't silly when he was playing because he took that very seriously. But to go on and yeah. do that, mm -hmm. not every drummer would have done that, you know. Ginger Baker wouldn't. Oh, God, no, 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 no. Ginger's <laughs> way too cool. If Ginger Baker was invited onto the Muppets, there would have probably been gunshots <laughs> and at least somebody being beaten with a bat. Well, it was it you said? Well, I can't remember if it was Claps or someone else. If, if there was Ginger Baker in a room, he could still, he could still start an argument. <laughs> if it was just Ginger Baker in a room, he could still start an argument. I absolutely, I had no idea. I didn't know much about him except that oh. he was the drummer for Cream until I saw the Beware of Mr. Baker documentary. Yeah, dreadful. Holy one. shit, man. What what happens to be that hateful and unhappy? Yeah. That's going to be me at some point. I'm sure of it. <laughs> as soon as no, I we, run we out of podcast. We won't let you. <laughs> yeah. Endless uh, Van Halen episodes that'll, that'll do it to me. <laughs> Damn you, Corey. Uh, let's see where. Oh, so here's a here's a song for you. This one's called "We Bite." Oh, 
are your thoughts on this one? Well, it's mercifully short. Um, <laughs> it's just a wee bit. I think it's they've done this thing a bit better. It's a bit predictable, a bit repetitious. You know, seeing it from the werewolf's point of view is that's interesting. I think lyrically, it's I think it's lyrically more interesting than it is. I mean, interesting. A little bit. The, the, the concept's a little bit more interesting than the music. The music's just a bit, a bit too eh, one speed. Mm-hmm. I I like the chorus. I, I like the way that the vocals are done in the chorus. I've always thought this was a fun song. It's got great energy to it. Yeah. Um, it is. It, it would be an example if somebody says, give me a song that really represents what this band is all about. I would probably pick this one because A, it is incredibly short. It's a minute and 14 seconds. Yeah. But you also have that it has their very classic riffs, the way that the drums are played, or again, doing that vacuum thing with the hi-hat going into the crash, which is very common for them. Very simple progression, great sounding guitars. I think this is a really good representation of a lot of their songs. It's also the core progression is three blind mice. Oh, it is, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Which is fine. I mean, this. I mean, this is a classic. (laughs) Yeah, but is it is it a fake wolf or a real wolf they're singing about? Oh, I don't know anymore. I don't. The lines are being blurred. Now I want to write a song where I'm singing from the perspective of a fake wolf. Fake wolf. (laughs) (laughs) This sheep sheep that a sheep that thinks it's a wolf. There you go. Let's do that spin. A sheep that thinks it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Oh, sheep in wolf's clothing. There you go. That's a that's a that, some some heavy metal band has to have done that at some point. I'm going to look through the Danzig catalog after the <laughs> podcast because I guarantee that's where I'll find it. Uh, yeah, I always I always dug this song. I, I always wanted a little more of it though, and I wanted something to connect it, like one more a bridge or you know one of those two bar yeah. solos or just something a little extra in there. Yeah, for sure, would be nice. But let's move on. We've got uh, we've listened to Halloween two. And you always watch movies in reverse order. So now we're going to watch or listen to Halloween, just Halloween. think of this one this one was funny because i i actually went on to the on wikipedia to double check if it was danzig singing this one because i wondered oh. if it was a different band just because his voice sounds so different mm-hmm. to me on this one i was like especially when in the singing parts because it he's not doing that tenor thing he's kind of singing quite flat right which he doesn't always do when he sings singing so mm-hmm. i found that interesting that he's just again it's just another sort of mode that he's got yeah i'm on board with this song up until they just start singing halloween and that's where it just sort of it tapers out a bit. I think, I think you know, this band's not afraid of doing a one minute song, a one minute twenty song, or one minute or whatever, shorter than a minute. I think right. you can cut that there and just. I, I think weirdly for a song that's only just shy of two minutes, I think it's a wee bit long. Yeah, because like, it gets like repetitive. Initial, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Once you've jumped into that, you're like, okay, here's the rest of the ride. I don't really need to hear it. Yeah, is what I feel like. And and again, that goes back to what I had said earlier. I, I can't remember if we were recording it or not, but about White Snake Slide It In album and why I should not like that album. Yeah. Because it's full of that. It's it's that repeating chorus until fade that faded 30 seconds later than it needed to. 
I shouldn't like that album, but there's something about it that I love absolutely every song on it. Yeah. Um, I think I'm just used to this, but I do I do think I tend to shut off once it hits that point because I know that the rest of it is just a constant. Yeah. There's another version of this too. I can't remember which album it's on, but uh, it goes a little bit longer and it does a fade out and okay. it just keeps going and going. And you're like, I think they put it <laughs> at the end of the album, which makes sense because that's, you know, for a fade out for the end of the album is good because it makes yeah. you want more. Right. You feel yeah, like you you can't chase it. You're missing something. So, all right, I, I'm just going to put on side A again. Well, again, it's, it's worth saying that we're listening to these. This is a compilation. Yeah. That you would never sequence. You probably wouldn't sequence most of these songs in this order if you were making an album, not just a proper album. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one thing too, I'd, I'd noted that there's an alternating two note thing. Like I think it's just a semitone switch that they do in the middle of the song. And it's kind of like that. It's like a horror trope right which right perfectly fits with halloween so again mm. I, like i said I'm, I'm with this song completely up to about i think it's about one minute 15 and that's that point like, exactly what you're saying it's like okay well yeah. i think i think you're done now yeah Maybe you could probably just finish now really right i think too it would you know for them to pick an order i don't know how they would do it because <laughs> the songs are too similar you would just toil over everyone well does it sound better going into this or that well it's pretty much going to be the same you know because their songs are start and stop pretty much the same yeah um the nice thing would be is if you know you're looking at doing a record where you actually had to be concerned about how much time you had on each side it would be really easy to pull a song off one side and put it on the other one and say well we just need a minute over here yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> i've sure. got a song that's a minute you know because i mean i'm just looking at you know walk among us the album's only 24 minutes yeah so you, i mean space is not an issue here right you can sort yeah. of do it with one. but i think as i remember i think that that one I think that one sequences quite well, mm-hmm. if I remember right. And they finished with Brain Eaters on that record, which is yeah. great. I mean, what a way to go out, right? That's a mm-hmm. that's another great closer. Oh, I agree. I I don't have that one on vinyl anymore. I have I think the only one I have on vinyl right now is just Legacy of Brutality, okay, which is uh, my favorite of theirs. Uh, okay, so what was that? That was Halloween. So now we're going to get to one of my all time favorite Misfit songs. This one is called Hate Breeders. <laughs> But that's not the version I want you to hear. Okay. I have an alternate version, which is the one that I heard first, and maybe why I like it better, or it could be just because it's better. Okay. Very produced. Yeah. And you can hear the kick drum. Yes, you can. Absolutely. Yeah. I like I, that one better. I mean, I like this song generally. I mean, it, you know, it's it, it's super, super cool. I like that the Hate Breeders All mm-hmm. is really where normally the chorus would start, but they lead into that. So it's it's not on the first bar of the chorus. I think that's cool. It, it sort of inverts the structure of where you would normally go with it or, or it 
you know, where songs don't come in on the one or where the songs don't start on the one, especially mm. with the guitar or for a piano lick or something, then the one comes where you're not expecting. Yeah. They're doing kind of the same thing vocally in the chorus, which I think is interesting. Yeah, and there's a line in here too that that I really love. It's uh, it, it's kind of one of those in between lines when he just says something. It's they bred the hate right in your fucking bones. Yeah, and I thought, what a great line for a song that's really about somebody who's just being programmed to hate. Yeah, it's. it's I mean, it's to me, it's a critique of them, very you know, sort of mm -hmm. indoctrination thing. Because I was in the military, and I know that in certain circumstances, you sort of need your soldiers to be brainwashed otherwise you can't you know it's it's not natural for people to kill it for, for men to shoot each other right but you need to sort of do a little bit of work there to make sure that people think it is okay yeah i've, I've written that one down as well because you're bred to take it next stop annihilation they bred the hate right in your fucking bones it's a yeah. powerful line it's a really good anti-establishment song and it's in that same family as war picks right it's kind of right. it's, it's, it's saying the same type of thing mm -hmm. or to tie it into metallica i would say disposable heroes from master of puppets is very much about the you're a soldier you're going to do what you're told and yeah. that's all there is to it i haven't heard that song yet yeah, yeah. that i think i think you'll like that one that's that's a that's one of their best uh in my opinion i think too it's it's um it, it's such an hard thing to understand the programming of people and i always go back to world war ii and i think about Hitler and how he programmed people to hate Jewish people. Yeah. Like I wouldn't know walking down the street what your heritage was, what your religion was. I mean, there's certain physical attributes that you might be able to narrow down a little bit. But I think how did he how did he program his people to just go all these people need to die? Like the the mentality yeah. of that is just so amazing to me. It took a while. You should, I mean, I'd recommend if you ever get the chance to go to Berlin and go to the Holocaust Museum. I mean, it's it's tough. It's a really difficult, you know, two, two and a half hours to walk through. And, and because they what they do is they set it up as a flow and a mm. narrative and you walk through. It's not just sort of different exhibits. You walk okay. through and you learn the history of exactly how that happened. Wow. Because the, the, the German people themselves, they don't want generations to forget that this is how we fell for it. This is what mm -hmm. happened. They started with this and then they built on this. And it was a, per a period of, you know, five, six years of slowly and patiently demonizing group of people and the Romanies and, and gay people and, and, and the Jews to the point where you do build up this resentment. And I mean, you look at, I mean, you hate to draw those parallels, but you look at some of the divisive politics in the world today, they're sort of doing the same thing to it. I mean, I don't think it's got this quite the same impact because we are more informed, we are more educated, we're more connected these days. But right. they were able to do it then because they were able to isolate those people and really create this this straw man that people just believed yeah right so it's, it's so it, like i said if you ever get the chance to go to berlin it, it's it's incredible it's it's a life-changing truly a life-changing experience to go through and, and learn about all that stuff is that um oh, okay that's in berlin is it, it at the site of one of the concentration camps is that where they opened no. it no, none of the camps were in Berlin. Like there were none in the major cities. They were all in in sort of remote regions. Oh, again, right, yeah. you, you couldn't you couldn't have that sort of depravity, and you couldn't you couldn't do that in a city where people actually saw it, because you wouldn't right. be able to you wouldn't be able to um, propagandize it. You wouldn't be able to justify it if people actually saw it. If people saw, you know thousands of bodies being thrown into pits and children and women and with all with shaved heads and you, you just couldn't do it so that's why it was right. all farmed out to all these remote regions right out of the public well, I, I, I don't know much about it but i know that my grandmother was a german citizen during world war ii and yeah. uh, she grew up 
not knowing where the soap came from or not knowing why the lampshade looked like that. And yeah. when she found out, I mean, she was obviously mortified. Of course, you know, absolutely, that, yeah. that those were people's bodies. And yeah. I, God, I just can't even, I can't even wrap my head around that. It makes you feel off. It makes you feel dirty and, and sticky. Just even thinking yeah. about it, right? Yeah, it's, it's, just... it's, it's weird because, you know, obviously with my grandma being German, I'm part German. Obviously, I wasn't even born when all this stuff happened, but yeah. there's some part of me that feels, I guess as a human being, feels responsible that that was allowed to happen. Yeah. And and not just that. I mean, really any atrocity, but I, I have probably more understanding of World War II than most other things because of my family. Um, I don't know. It's, it's such a strange thing, but just the, the idea of that kind of genocide and to be able to program people so easily yeah. manipulate them into thinking that this is what we should do. I, that's, that's such a big horror. Well, and it's, it's perfectly encapsulated in the, in the title of the song, right? Hate breeders. That's what you're doing. Breeding hate. And it's right. It's an awful thing to do. I mean, you think just how callous that is to, to encourage hate and division and, and, and violence in, in people. It's, it's a truly terrible thing to do. But there is profit in it, and there are mm -hmm. people who gain from it, and so it's always going to be with us. We just got to, you know, acknowledge it and identify it and and call it out when we see it. And yeah. Like I said, I mean, it, you know, art and comedy and music and those types of things—that's the avenue through which we can we can bring that to the public attention. Yeah. It's not going to be politicians. It's not going to be public speakers. It's going to be this kind of thing. It's going to be underground. It's going to be Rage Against the Machine. It's going to be Black Sabbath. It's going to be misfits talking about these things to a disenfranchised class and sort of highlight it a little bit. Which I think they do a fantastic job of it in this song. Yeah, I'm glad you like that one. That's that's one of my favorites for sure. Uh, subject matter aside, I just love the yeah. song. Oh, it's a great song. Yeah, <laughs> melodically, it's great. So, uh, wrapping up our last couple, uh, we have "Children in Heat," which is a, a rather interesting departure for them. Yeah. I feel like if they hired a guitarist into the band and they said, okay, we need you to learn our catalog. We're going to play you one song and they play this song. The person could go, okay, I get how to play most of your songs now. <laughs> it's the same yeah. progression. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. But I mean, punk is generally right. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. you, you're not going to play, no one's playing F or B right. in a punk band because that's, you've got a bar and that's just going to take too long. We'll just, you know. They're all power fifths, and I, I don't know, it, it works, right? Um, the mix is terrible. You know, it, it's really, I mean, but again, it, it, it pretty much is wrong. I'd written down, like, I like this switch to straight instead of double time for a beat, and it's just mm -hmm. for a beat after the second no, restri uh, no resistance refrain. Um, and I love that line, they all change their names to Chicago. Yeah. It's one of those weird throwaway, like, what the f*** does that come from? Like, no one's called I Chicago. I think this was related to another film, though. I okay. could be wrong about that, but I think it was related to a film. I'm not sure which one, um, but it kind of sounds like if they, if somebody came to them and said, hey, uh, we really like your stuff. We want you to write a song for our movie. It needs to be a little more, a little bit more commercial than your normal stuff. Yeah. I feel like this is what they might have put out. 
because it does feel similar to their style, but it kind of feels like there's a departure here at the same time. It's safer. Yeah. I'd use that word, right? Like it's this, and there's no real violence to this. There's no, you don't feel, there's no threat to it, right? It's ba- right. And it is just basically a youth anthem, you know, we're sort of, we're disenfranchised and we're not putting over there, but they've, they've dialed back the rhetoric in it so that it's a bit mm-hmm. more, maybe you're right, maybe it's just a bit more palatable. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. I I just I just, I don't know. Like if if there were ever a song that I could say, what's the closest thing that the Misfits ever did to a commercial song during their Danzig years? This would be the first song that came to mind. Maybe yeah. the only one because it just it really is apart from all the other ones. Well, an attitude. It's got it's got hmm. some similarities to attitude, and just in terms, of, like you said, rhythmically and everything else, and then tempo. I think it's it's probably around about the same sort of BPM. But yeah, no, I, I could see. I, I agree with you. I think that's a good call. Unfortunately, not in the style of Three Blind Mice, but you can't do that with every song <laughs> or other nursery rhymes. It could, you could do a whole band on that, though, that takes nursery rhymes and just takes those and sort of like, like a home cook who has to do everything as if they're in a five-star restaurant. <laughs> you know, you, you convert that. You could do like Hickory Dickory Dock and Three Blind Mice and all kinds of things and, uh, you know, turn those into some kind of like five-star musical dish. I got to quickly send you here. God, while we're talking about Oh, right. Uh, yeah, you might be able to watch it. Send you this in the chat because one of the shows that I watched back in England um, called Taskmaster, great show. Okay. What the hell is the chat? What is the chat? Um, Should be on the bottom one of your of, screen somewhere. One of the tasks that they had, that the contestants had to do ah. was to uh, do a nursery rhyme, do a, a music video for a nursery rhyme. Okay. And I wanted to show you one of the contestants' his version of Three Blind Mice. Uh-oh. So I think it might bring you some joy. I like joy. As, uh, why isn't it opening? Oh, there we go. Um, as, as Corey often calls me a thief of joy, I actually <laughs> like joy. I'm a fan of it. Let's see what we got here. You have one hour and your time starts now That's good. I'm going to put the link for that in the show notes for you guys who uh, it's worth the visual. I thought you I'll just like say that. that. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I like that. I'm a fan. I got to make sure I keep that open. Um, so rounding out the the uh, the whole thing, our last song is uh, one that I, I think I talked about this one in the last episode. This is called Blood Feast.
love the way he goes back into that the verse after that first chorus, just right into it with no pause whatsoever. Yeah, the time on this song is unusual too, because the, you know where the the verse structure is. You, you've got two lines, and then you get a third line, but it's not a full bar, or it comes in. It it it, it it's very cool. Yeah, it's very very cool. And I mean, again, the lyrics are they are what they are. I mean, it, it's a horror movie basically in a little mm-hmm. little short vignette, right? But it works perfectly. Love the pushes, the drum pushes on because I just can't fake it. I love that mm-hmm. that punch. Um, some we get some drum fills in this one, right? Yes. Um, and there there is definitely a mix, a different mix of this one that I found. And I think it's from either another compilation or maybe an album or something that you can really hear everything. Because again, the production on this one is a bit, is a little bit muddy and the vocals are mixed yeah. a bit low at the beginning. So this again the production, but the song itself, and at 231, I don't always love the longer ones because I think they're the best when they're super punchy. I really mm-hmm. like this one. This is one of the ones that I sort of marked as need to listen to this more, Kev. Yeah, 231 is like a marathon for the Misfits yes, at, at yeah. this point. I think they're writing more structured songs now, yeah. uh, you know, with the with the current band. But uh, I love that the drums, the, the toms in, in, in that section aren't really defined. I like that they're kind mm-hmm. of muddy and it just adds a nice layer of just darkness to it without it having to be as defined as we would normally want to hear our punchy yeah. toms. Uh, I love the the vocals. I love the chorus. Uh, yep. I think the vocal layering on the chorus is really good. There's just something too about the tone of the guitars that really it, it just cuts through and makes this a unique sounding song as opposed yep. to their other songs that have the similar structure or similar uh, riff pattern. Um, yeah, this has always been one of my favorites. It's, it's that again. It's like it's what the kids these days call a vibe. Mm-hmm. It's got that to it. There's you. You sort of you immerse yourself into it pretty quickly on this one and you're happy yeah. to be there. It's not something that it's not something that takes a few listens to find the handle on. I, I found the, you know, I found the button on this one really quickly and mm-hmm. I liked it pretty much immediately because everything about it is like, okay, yeah, this is structured. Well, it's the right length. Like again, even at two thirty, it's definitely a prog rock for the misfits at two thirty one. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, but I, I never got bored with it. I never got frustrated with it. I didn't think oh, I wish to do something different. This song just keeps moving around very, very nicely. Really good track. Yeah, I agree. I, I I don't think there's anything I would want differently in it. I think even at that length, I don't feel like it's too long. Maybe they could have cut out a couple passes at the very end yeah. where it just kind of repeats a little bit. But apart from that, I, I mean, it's just, it doesn't feel like a two minute song for them. You know, it goes kind of fast, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, it's lengthy for them. It's almost like they're Tarkus, which is what, like 11 <laughs> minutes or something for Emerson, Lincoln Palmer, which is fairly normal you know, for them, uh, again, thinking of the eight track days, although I did not have Tarkus on eight track. I had, um, what was the yes album that had worm on it? Um, Tormato maybe. I think I had Tormato on eight track. Okay. And of course, like right in the middle of worm, right when it's getting good, it flips tracks again and you lose it for 15 seconds. And now you're out of the song, you know, you can't just pick it up again and God, what a horrible format that was. <laughs> But yeah, overall, it sounds like you uh, you really enjoyed the the songs for the most part. I enjoyed the experience of listening to this album. Yeah, definitely, because it's unusual in the you know most compilations. The the people try to make compilations cohesive, mm-hmm. you know, especially if it's greatest hits or if it's whatever it is. Or but the when you do something like this, and you really are just giving us these tracks unvarnished in their original form or in in a form that isn't prettied up and remixed or remastered or anything, I think it it shows the bands variety it shows the revolution it shows the different you know looks that glenn danzig has as a vocalist mm-hmm. as a songwriter as a lyricist 
And I think it's I think it's a, one of those things where you would say, and not knowing the band very well, but it's an important document. You you need this this document yeah. in this catalog just to have that sort of context for what they were doing. I, I agree. It feels like a cutting room floor kind of album, you know, a compilation of here's stuff that was left over and we've got room. So let's mm -hmm. throw this on there. And here's a different mix of that. So we'll throw that on there. Here's a version that was recorded at this other studio instead of the first studio we release it. So we'll throw that on there. Um, but I think it's a, it's a great collection. I think it, it shows a good, well-rounded, about as well-rounded as they get. Yeah. You know, especially with songs like Halloween 2 and then Halloween 1 and then you've got Brain Eaters. And I mean, it's a good variety. Yeah, it is. And it's not, you know, I, I think the the incoherence of it, maybe the sort of the incohesiveness of it, is sort of what, again, lends it a charm that if, if they'd taken off, you know, some of the Halloween and Halloween 2 and some of those songs that are a bit more horror-oriented and just gone with 12 straight-up punk, punk songs... Mm -hmm be less interested in it yeah right? I agree. because it's the eclecticism of the album that sort of works in its favor which doesn't always happen but i think mm -hmm. it does in this one plus i think I, one thing that i really like about their because their collections are pretty big they have this one and there's the first collection that they did that, that was i think just had close to the same number of songs on it you really get used to hearing when you're listening to albums or your car tapes or you get used to hearing things in a certain order and i like yeah. mixing that up I, this is almost like just hitting random and mm -hmm. hearing things in whatever order is not what you're used to. And I think it presents the songs differently yeah. because you, you, as you're, as one song is getting close to the end, you're already starting to think about the next song and how that's going to start. And so this gives you a chance to say, yeah, it's going to be different. I'm really just going to listen to this song. It's and like the song stand on its own. It's like getting trick of the tail. Then we can't dance mm -hmm. and dance on a volcano. Then who done it, right? Like it's just, it's yeah. all over the map. It's, which yeah. again, I think I, I think it works in its favor. Except that you wouldn't put Who Done It on any album. I would not. No, I wouldn't even put it on this freaking planet. I don't know <laughs> what they were thinking. I will not forgive them. Let's move past it. So, uh, for <laughs> those of you who are listening and don't know what we're talking about, that's Genesis and uh, Kevin's least favorite. Is that? Would you say Who Done It is your least favorite or Snowbound? Well, or is there we, another I, one that you hate more? I mean, Who Done It by I would listen to Snowbound on repeat. Wow for a week before I'd really want to listen to Who Done It Again in this lifetime. So I, I don't know their older catalog that well, but I would say uh, I love the Brazilian. That's yep. one of my favorite Genesis songs. Also, Many Too Many is another one. I think it's one of Phil Collins' best vocals. Sensational. And, and that's saying a lot because that man can sing. Yeah. You really are, because I know you, you, you've, got, you've got some prog tolerance. You really should go oh, back yeah. and check out. You should go back and check out Supper's Ready. It's definitely on my list. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite albums is in the Court of the Crimson King. So if you, if yeah. if anybody ever questions my ability to love Prague, uh, just yeah. just listen to that, you know, or or Tarkus. Tarkus is another yeah. one. I absolutely love that song. You know, when I interviewed David Stone, he said that his uh, his audition for Rainbow was Tarkus. No way. Yeah. Because really? the way that da, 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 that the way that that's played, the rhythm that's played on the left hand and the melody on the right, it's pretty insane. And so the album had just come out, and he learned it, and he played that for Richie, and that that really impressed him that he could wow. do that, that he had that kind of independence because he learned how to play in place of the bass player on keyboard. Right. So he's used to doing both jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's tough. Oh God, yeah. I got more my friend Randy Woods who. Um does the Queen podcast with me, the, his band doesn't have a bass guitarist. 
they have a keyboard player who plays a bass keyboard and then yeah. with his right hand plays all the lead parts on the synth and it blows my mind whenever i see him yeah so it's good. that kind of independence it, like i i watch a drummer like terry basio who can do some of the most unbelievable things as a human being i mean talk yeah. about mastering independence of of your four limbs yeah it's incredible uh whether it has any musical use other than a solo or other than to you know look impressive i don't know but just looking at the ability yeah to make that work and sound as incredible as it does or a guy like dave wackel you know playing with chick korea the electric band and yeah. some of the stuff i've heard him do is just unbelievable well that's when you get into all those polyrhythms that you have it's essential that you have those independence of, of limbs because you you're yeah. doing different counts mm -hmm. on different limbs and it, if you don't have that and if you can't let your brain just sort of vamp that and, and and work independently there's no way you can play those things like you can't play that shuffle in, in, in toto in like it's just rosanna yeah. come on man i mean you, you've got to that's where you need that you have to be able to play four different things at the same time keep track of it all and know where the one is yeah. you've always just got to get back to the one right so mm -hmm. and you have to play it with just a little bit of happiness too like there's just something about you can't be unhappy and play that shuffle it's just nah. not possible nah. <laughs> You know, any uh, shuffle well, really, actually, you know, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And, you know, the the double shuffle is pretty impressive. Yeah. And then I found out there's a triple shuffle shuffle where you actually play all three at the same time. And like, that's nuts. Uh, it's just not necessary. Like I said, that's just, just that's just yeah. showing off. I would fall off of the stool halfway through. I just feel <laughs> like I can't I can't keep this up. You know, I, I did a, uh, you know, because in Uriah Heap, they did a lot of double shuffles. Yeah. And so I had done a, uh, on my YouTube channel, I did a, just a quick double shuffle tutorial. It was like, this is what, how it looks and how it works. And the next day, uh, their drummer, Russell Gilbrook, put out a video on how to do it. And it was like a thousand times better than my crappy little video. Yes, <laughs> <Like>, you. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just leave it up there. But, yeah. you know, bless him. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for uh, hanging out and uh, and doing this. So here's here's what's going to happen. I will uh, I'll have to break up this episode. So I'll have it uh, the first half this week, and then I've got a special episode that I'm doing for Valentine's Day, and then the second half of this will appear. I guess that would be February 21st. So uh, a little week break in between while I do something completely different that I've never done on the podcast before. And I uh, hope you guys will like that. But Kevin, thank you so much, man. I'm, I'm glad that uh, I could help introduce you a little bit further to some new style of music. Yeah, I mean, I'm always, I know I'm in safe hands with you, right? I know you're not going to give me something that's completely unpalatable. I know that we're going to be able to have a great discussion about it. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I like being exposed to new music. I sometimes need a push. Um, and this was a great push because, you know, when, you've, when you're being asked onto a podcast, well, now you've got a responsibility to know the songs, to have done your homework and done your research. And so in that, like I said, you find all these little nuggets of gold in what you thought was pyrite originally. And I th that's that's the joy of being asked on things like this or being asked to sort of listen to different music. So thank you so much to you. I've been exposed yeah. to stuff that I would never have listened to. Well, and, um, and thanks. It was the same thing when you had me on the Tom Petty podcast because... I don't listen to Tom Petty. So it was really yeah. interesting to dig into some of the, you know, the non-popular tracks and really see some of the stuff that that he was able to do. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to find an album that we did find on the surface to be unpalatable and kind of do the way that we do these critical reviews and really yeah. see if we can find something good in it. So if you come up with an album, let me know. I, I okay. it, it, it can't be Thunder because I already know I can't find anything good in that. Well, maybe maybe we've already said the name. Maybe we should do a Tay Tay album. Oh, you know what? 
two fifty-year-old white men doing Taylor Swift. You know, <laughs> well, there's not a doing Taylor Swift. Sorry, not doing Taylor Swift. Do covering covering a Taylor Swift album. There we go. Let's phrase okay. it that way. Okay. I mean, you know, I'm not opposed. Uh, <laughs> no, that that would be cool. Uh, I don't have have your kids are are fans of Taylor's, right? No, they're not. No, okay. my youngest my youngest daughter listens to Alice Cooper, Iron Maiden. Black Sabbath, my oldest nice. older sister, mainly exclusively rap. So have, not so much Have you guys in. seen Alice live? Yes. We it's saw amazing. That, it was my youngest daughter's first gig. We wow. were second row dead center. It was, a, and it was Nita Strauss was playing. It was amazing. Wow. Yeah, do you, do you, was anything given away by sitting that close? Nope. Really? Nope. N nothing that. Not that spoiled anything. You could see stagehands moving a little bit more. Sure, like, I guess, but, yeah. But I mean, no, because it, it's, I mean, it's Alice, right? You're there, for yeah. the, you're there for the spectacle. But again, I mean, his band, God, they're tight. They're so, yeah. so good, you know? They are amazing. I The first time I saw him was Halloween night in Detroit. Oh, no it was way. unbelievable. I mean, the, the theatrical side of it was amazing. The musical side of it was amazing. But the thing that gets me is that he looks like he is actually physically controlling everything yeah when you know he's not i mean everyone's acting and they're playing their part very well yeah but it you really get the sense that he's actually the puppet master it's it's vaudeville it's it's mm. you know it's, it's west end it's broadway and he's got he, he's got that sensibility that he just knows how to orchestrate so i think he's he's directing on you know and obviously it's so well rehearsed and everything oh but yeah, yeah when you when you go and watch i mean it, it's incredible to watch performance you know that people talk talk about marilyn manson they talk about all these these shock jocks and everything else alice was doing this decades ago he invented yeah. it man like you know yeah. there's no kiss without alice cooper right well and alice you know he he was a gutsy guy he just showed up at frank zappa's house to you know i mean who yeah. does that yeah well i look forward to uh i look for we'll have to pick an album but i look forward to doing this this will be a really interesting challenge for both of us i think it will push us to our limits yeah definitely i would imagine well thank you my friend i will have the links to all your shows in the show notes guys check kevin out uh check out all his shows uh they're all fantastic even if i don't particularly like the subject i always enjoy the shows because he's a great host and he he's a great analytical reviewer and has some great commentary. So thank you, Kevin. We'll do this again for sure. Thanks so much, Scott. Really enjoyed this. We'll see you guys uh, next Wednesday, unless I have another uh, random Saturday interview. I don't have anything scheduled just yet, but you know what? You guys know how it goes on this show. It can happen anytime. We'll see you guys soon. Cheers. Cheers.